LiveFlow is known for saving accountants time. Hours, days, even weeks for some. Well, LiveFlow has done it again, saving accountants even more time with their new feature, Automated Multi-Entity Consolidation. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, LiveFlow, later in the episode. I go around, I, I do a town hall forums around the state of Illinois, where you want to talk with members about the state of the profession, state of our people, and, and I include the state of state diversity as part of that, as we continue to talk about it. Mm. I can look at the 47% and get angry or frustrated, or I can say, you know what? We're going to continue to talk about what we think is important to talk about. And prog progress is not going to be fenced. But all we can do is we can continue to talk about it. We can continue to talk to leadership about it, leadership in firms, leadership in companies. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I am your host, Blake Oliver, CPA, and I am joined today by Todd Shapiro, the president and CEO of the Illinois CPA Society, and Carrie Natali, senior director, planning and governance at the Illinois CPA Society. Todd and Carrie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, nice to meet you. Thanks so much for having us. So we're talking today about diversity in the accounting profession. The Illinois CPA Society released a report called A Diversity Report, Uncovering the Barriers to Success. And I myself witnessed the lack of diversity in accounting when I was in public accounting at a large firm briefly. And I hear about it uh, constantly as a problem in our profession, a challenge that our profession faces, a significant one. And there's a lot of uh, tie-ins to the recruitment problem we have in our profession and trying to get more people into it. Lack of diversity is one of those barriers that I've heard about. So I'm very eager to talk to you about this today. Who's best to start with? Todd, Carrie, t tell me about this report. Give me the, the big takeaways. You know, what did you do and what did you find out? Blake, I'll start if that's okay with you. And then I'll give you a little bit of the background and maybe Todd can start with the takeaways. So um, first of all, we we did this research with program participants that we were pretty close with. So in the last 10 years, we've held an internship preparation program for racially and ethnically diverse um, students to help them prepare for internships. And over those 10 years, they've been very successful in finding internships and becoming placed. Um, in the last few years, we um, started to hear more challenges that they were having and barriers and once they transitioned in the workforce. And so in order to improve our own program, and resources, we wanted to ask the alumni of our program what was going on. What were they experiencing? How did they feel and um, learn from their experiences? And so we started with a survey of uh, those 260 uh, program alumni. And then when we got the survey results, uh, we, we saw some, you know, kind of troubling comments in the open-ended discussion. Questions and so we wanted to dig deeper. We did additional surveying and then interviewing to learn from their experiences. And so that's kind of the background for why we um, did this. The research, you know, obviously isn't reflective of all diverse individuals, but and not even of all of our program alumni. But um, we did want to focus specifically on some of the challenges that we saw, so that we can make sure to address those the best we could. Todd, do you want to start with talking about some of the themes we found? Well, actually, I want to take a quick step beyond it before that is to sort of why we moved in this path. It was, there were twofold. One was hearing feedback from some of our Mary T alums that on the experiences they were having. But I'll take it a step back further, a little bit further. You oh, know, and Todd, if you don't mind, tell me a little bit more about the program. So it was, it was yeah. an intern. What kind of program was it? Well, so we, yeah. So we have our, our Mary T, our Mary T Wiley. Washington Wiley Internship Preparation Program is a program where we bring in to our, into our, what used to be our offices now is virtually, uh, 25 to 30 college students a year. Uh, they participate in a three-day program. It's virtual now. We may go back to live after the pandemic. And in three days, we give them 
a sort of an, an, an immersion into the accounting profession. And they may be sophomores, they may be juniors, some may even be seniors, but depends what year they're at. And, and we'll talk about resume preparation. We'll talk about what the different parts of the accounting profession are. Some of it will be personal development. Some of it will be sort of how to get a job. Some will be sort of what to expect when you have a job and how to, how to act in a job. Uh, they come from schools in Illinois, all different schools in Illinois. You can't have an internship if you, you can't have an internship and participate. Mm -hmm. So, so let's say you go to the University of Illinois, great accounting school, heavily recruited by the firms and you've got an internship, you don't get into our program. But let's say you go to either U of I or you go to another state school, another school, state or private, state or private, and you don't have an internship, you, you qualify to, to participate. Got it. All the students are of diverse backgrounds, black, Hispanic, Asian Pacific Islander. So we put them through the three-day program. At the end of the three, what makes it unique, at the end of the three days, they interview with accounting firms or companies for internships or leadership programs, or whatever the case may be. And that's what makes firm unique in the fact that they'll walk out at the end of the three days and in almost all cases with some kind of position. In many, many cases, internship, internships within a firm or a company, but in some cases it may be a leadership program. So it's a great opportunity to late to learn and to get placed into a company. Okay, got it. So you've got these college accounting students from diverse backgrounds. You bring a few dozen of them together. You connect them with firms to hopefully get them internships or positions. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then and for this survey, you then surveyed the alumni of this program. Yes. Got it. So I wanted to take, but the step back I wanted to take before that was, one, we heard feedback from our, our students. We also saw disturbing trends more broadly. And I'm not going to allude to, but, but things that made us think we need to look into this. We've seen hiring, and you talked about the pipeline, you talked about recruitment. We've seen hiring of, of Black and African Americans be, be very stale, be, be very flat, uh, and not increased at all in the last 15 years. Mm -hmm. We've seen some movement within Asian Pacific Islanders, but pretty much statistically, it's pretty flat over the last 15 years. We've seen some increase Good news is we've seen some increase in, in Hispanic and Latino individuals by, by accounting firms. Yet, while we've seen this, for the last 15 years, about 4 to 5% of new hires are Black or African American. But if you look at advancement, only 2% of accounting, only 2% of CPAs are, are Black or African American firms, and only 2% of partners are. So yeah. that kind of got us thinking, that in a broad way, there's, there's an issue with advancement. The, the report really is about barriers to advancement. Barriers to advancement. To yeah, right. not barriers to hire, barriers to advance. Yeah. And that sort of got us thinking, we need to look at our own shop. What's going on with our Mary T alums? Got us to the point of, of all the research that Carrie talked about. Yeah. And like you said, this is not just in Illinois. This is broadly in all the data I've seen, all the surveys I've seen, we... We could do better with the top of the funnel, meaning getting diverse candidates into firms, but there's a really steep drop-off once they're in, in getting to the manager, director, partner level. Like after a fir the first few years, it seems yes. to even drop off a lot. So yes. that's what you dug into in this report then. Right. And, and um, okay. the, the beautiful part is we had these, the, the Marty alums who have all been through that. So we could ask them very direct questions about yes, because their experience is is no different than what you're seeing in a broader sense. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so I'd love to dig into the reasons. Like what, and I assume you're seeing the same thing, right? Among this group, you saw there was a drop-off that that they tend to tend to leave, right? Leave either voluntarily or, or involuntarily. And what is that drop-off? Is it, you know, 50%? Is it 80%? Is it 20%? Like, give me an idea. Yeah, so about 70% of the people who filled out the survey started in public accounting. We don't we didn't track like how many of them left right away or if there were um there was a percentage of the drop off in terms of left accounting overall. Like I said earlier, most of our alumni were successful and have done really well. So we're talking about the pool who, you know, has been struggling and who has expressed concerns that were race related. So Okay. So that you that you really focused in on the people who left public accounting and why they left. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about those reasons. Like what what is the experience? 
Kira, why don't you lead off? Yeah. So, you know, when we we did confidential interviews and we did the surveys, um, it was pretty, you know, you said something earlier about the the pipeline, like, oh, there's this problem of, you know, not enough people joining the profession, but then there's also the problem of what's happening once they enter the profession. I think what we heard from them is this, th- the first theme was really about, you know, the profession isn't diverse, right? Obvious, that's an obvious answer. They were feeling like that was a barrier to their success at the accounting firm. So when they were in recruiting process or when when they were, you know, hopeful to get into accounting, they thought, um, they were told or they they thought it would be a little bit better than what they saw or the representation that they had. Um, they really struggled with that lack of, you know, belonging and just feeling overlooked. So they expressed a lot of concerns that we were concerned about. Um, you know, some of them said they felt like just a number, like they were just hired because they were of a certain race and that they didn't feel like they were, you know, really part of the team. And so um, we were concerned by some of them describing that they felt like they were actually excluded, not included. Uh, So we talked a lot about culture and what that meant to them. So they felt like their employer maybe um, was doing a lot in terms of diversity and inclusion initiatives, talked about all the initiatives they were doing, and they had this great intent to be a diverse and inclusive environment. But our program alumni who were giving us this feedback shared that it really didn't feel like that to them. And so they felt isolated. They couldn't be themselves. Um, and that contributed to, in their eyes, um, part of the reason why they weren't successful or advancing. And this is a bit of a catch-22 for the profession, isn't it? Because if the profession isn't diverse, and that's the number one barrier to diverse people entering the profession, then how do you fix it, right? right? And I mean, I, I feel like that's not a fair excuse to make. No, but you're right. When we started this program 10 years ago, the employers were a big part of what kind of program content we were going to offer the students. They said, you know, we we just, we need more diverse, you know, bring us more diverse students. It'll be great. So what we did was yeah. bring more diverse students. And now we're seeing like, wait, are we setting them up for <laughs> what we had hoped, you know, this pipeline, put them into the pipeline and then now what? So. And to put a number on it, um, it's 58% of your program alumni, 58% who said that the environment not diverse, environment not being diverse is a barrier. Yeah. Is the, and that's the and biggest that was one. the top barrier of the 10 options yeah. we um, presented. And then 18%, this is, this is kind of the part that's painful, is 18% of the survey respondents cited discrimination slash microaggressions and general lack of equity compared to other entry-level professions as being prevalent barriers. So that's that's more like they experienced you know, negative actions from other people in the firm. Yeah, it's very concerning. Yeah. yeah. Well, it it doesn't surprise me though, because uh, you know there was another report recently that Accounting Today did. We'll, I wanna get back to the this diversity report that you did, but but uh, th- this kind of relates to what Azariant did, which is the parent company of accounting today. They did a survey on diversity across all professions. And they found basically that a lot of the accounting profession isn't interested in diversity and doesn't see it as being a problem. And that's, I, I, I can tell you, I experienced that yesterday. And I mean, it was in yesterday with, uh, with, uh, with somebody who literally walked out of a session I was, where I was talking about this report. And somebody walked out of a session and, and made a comment that, uh, well, that's what I'm going to talk about. She could, she could just leave. I, I think the, the one thing I wanted to, I, you know, and I, and I know Carrie talked about the number one reason being a lack of inclusive or being a, an organization that's not diverse. And Blake, you talked about, you know, it becomes like, you know, cat chasing its tail, you know, which, how do you get diverse if you, if people won't stay? And I think the important part of this, the, what I took out of the report, it, and there's things that we can, there's things that, that I think people are trying to be conscious about. So there is a lot of talk about microaggression, how we can reduce the level of microaggression, how we become more aware of our level of microaggression. There's a lot of the things, listen, the firms have done a, a lot to try to create an inclusive environment. Have they, have they accomplished what they need to accomplish? In, in, in many cases, sometimes I think you, if you read some of their comments about forming BRGs, business resource groups or ERGs, employee resource groups. And sometimes that works. And some of the, some of the people who responded said, 
you know, you feel like they did that sort of, you get stuck to having to do that because people have to do that. So there's things the profession is doing and we should celebrate what the profession is mm -hmm. trying to do. I will tell you one thing that caught my eye and, and we have heard this and Gary knows exactly where I'm going with this is what was the surprise and what was, was I surprised when they said environment, not diverse? No. Was I surprised when they said inclusivity? Probably not. I was probably a little surprised when I read the comment about feedback, not getting feedback. I've talked to some people now and, and have talked to people in firms and they, and they say, well, yeah, that does happen. And, and then the, the question is, what can we do about things that we're not? So why is it, why aren't people getting good feedback? Well, because in many cases, your white supervisor may be uncomfortable giving you feedback because it's a, because of the, because of the racial or ethnic issues. Well, that's fine. But and then you go and you let the person go or the person doesn't get the right assignments. And yeah, you know, for a long time, it was always, well, we just got to give people better assignments. Well, well, this report yeah. really said it's not just that. I think we're equally surprised about the, the my education didn't adequately prepare me. And, and that was one that we kind of dove pretty deep on. Because that was sort of new, that was new learning. This episode of the Earmark Podcast is sponsored by Liveflow. Did you hear the news? Liveflow just launched a new consolidation product. Liveflow power user Beth Melcher of MoneyFit said that Liveflow's consolidation is saving her team 15 to 20 minutes per client every week and eliminates the use of formulas. Liveflow's automated multi-entity consolidation is simple to use. You can easily map multiple unmatching charts of accounts from multiple QuickBooks online companies into one standardized report. Once it's set up, Liveflow works its magic, updating the consolidations automatically in real time, so you can focus on analysis using instantly updated data across entities. Liveflow can even consolidate financials that are in different currencies. And the possibilities don't stop there. Liveflow empowers you with flexible, powerful reporting tools to create customized dashboards that meet your specific needs. Build executive presentations, cash flow forecasts, and more with just a few clicks. To stop grueling over manual consolidation reports and to get 25% off your first three months, be one of the first 10 listeners to head over to earmarkcpe.promo slash liveflow. That is earmarkcpe.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. So is that, you're talking about point number two here in the summary. The stat is that 49% of alumni indicated that past experiences did not adequately prepare you or somewhat adequately prepared you for working in a professional environment. So they'd be referring to mainly their education at that point, right? Yeah. So That's half, funny. half of the alumni of this program don't feel that their so, education. So, so the, before Todd goes in this, because I know this is where he wants to dig in. It, I, yeah. I believe after the interviews, everything, digging a little deeper in that, they attributed this knowledge gap compared to their white peers based on their academic preparation, like you mentioned, but also they, their past jobs, their past up, like they're just upbringing in general. Right. And so, um, yeah, academic preparation is a huge part of it. And I know Todd wants to talk more about but that. But there's more. Yeah. Well, it was just kind of like they they felt their in background in general um, was different from their peers and academic was a big part of that. Well, and, but I think it goes in all those things. And, and, and Blake, I think the interesting part is if you think about the large firms where most of our, mo most of our alums are going to larger firms, those are the firms that are participating in our program, the big four, the, the, you know, the top 10 firms, most of the top 10 firms are to participate. If you think about where they recruit, where, where most of their recruiting occurs, uh, of their, of their white employees. They go to the top schools. I use U of I. And I'm not saying anything's negative about, about somebody's educational background, but I'm trying to be honest. Yeah. If you, it, it, if you go to the University of Illinois, to get into the University of Illinois, you have to be at the top of your high school class. To get hired by an accounting firm from the University of Illinois, usually you have to have a GPA that is pretty high. 325, 35. It's got to be a pretty strong GPA at a pretty rigorous accounting school. And I'm, and I'm guessing it's going to be the same for Texas or for Notre Dame or for a lot of the, the top, the top accounting school. Those programs are rigorous and they're ranked the way they're ranked for a reason. I'm not 
criticizing other schools and don't take it this way, but our Mary T students come from schools all across the state, all across the state. Do we have a, do we have a 3.0 GPA that you have to get into it? A 3.5? No, it's more like a 3.0 GPA. We looked at the entire background of the student. They come from very different backgrounds. The challenge is you get hired by an accounting firm and now look for your competition. Yeah. Look who your peer group is. Well, and is it fair to say that most accounting firms, the attitude is, uh, we're going to hire you and it's trial by fire. It's sink or swim. What I hear from most folks is you get in there and you got to figure things out on your own. And the lack of uh, feedback and development is sort of across everybody, right? That's, that's just a fact of the way a lot of firms operate. And they, they expect that, you know, a certain percentage will not be able to keep up and will fail. Yeah, I think a lot of our alumni talked to me about, um, you know, that feeling of they felt like they were recruited differently and then they were um, treated yeah. the same when they started, when they felt like if they had additional support, they might have been more successful. They just didn't know enough. They felt like yeah. people were treating them like they weren't good enough and they thought their peers had an advantage over them. And so, you know, we all know what it's like to start a new job. There's a lot to learn. You know, it's hard. You're, you know, yeah. everybody's got these things. Imagine adding all these extra barriers and feeling like you're already so far behind. Some of their right. peers had oh. multiple internships before them. So they just, I, if, if you're putting all the effort in to recruit the talent, you know, they were hoping to have a little bit more support when they started. Well, yeah. and I'll, and I'll, give you an, I'll give you another quick example. So not only do they do employers and, and firms and companies recruit students out of our Mary T program, the University of Illinois recruits students out of our Mary T program for their master's in accounting down at U of I. And interestingly, a fair number of our scholars are admitted to the University of Illinois master's in accounting program. But they did this and, and we really enjoy, we love their program. Before you enter, the year before you enter, the University of Illinois Master of Accounting Science. And I think about it, you had a kid who's going down and they're now going to be sitting in a class with all with, with a lot of students who graduated from U of I in the Master's of Accounting program, right? So what the University of Illinois does is they do an assessment of these individuals. And if they see an area where you need further education or development, they'll give you that individualized development to help to ensure your success when you enter their program. Now, U of I does that. Is that done broadly when it gets into the workplace? And I mean, you know, outside of, you know, presentation skills or something like that, some technical training, do we do that broadly? Or to your point is, it's a sink or swim, good luck. Yeah. yeah. And everyone sorts, everyone's treated, everyone is treated more the same, as you know. Yeah, what Todd's yeah. explaining is U of I's kind of figured out that like transition into their master's program and said they they work with people on their individual needs and assess where they're at with coursework. And should you test, you know, should you try another course before you start the master's program so that you're successful when you're in our master's program? Um, and kind of comparing that to when you're entering the workplace, like are there areas we need to help you with before you enter so you're successful? So here's my takeaway from this conversation is we've got firms trying to do better by diversifying their incoming class, right? Their new hires. Uh, and, and they're participating in this program to do that with you. Yes. But they are not providing enough support once those folks are in. And specifically, we're talking about inadequate feedback and development. So, so not providing the training that's not providing enough training in the minds of, you know, the folks who are coming in. And then also, uh, you know, not creating a welcoming enough environment. That's what we're hearing from these people. Yeah, that would summarize, that would, that, that would summarize, yes. Yes, I think there's a great effort yeah. to try and bring people with high-binding questions. How do we help to ensure their success when they get there? One yeah. of the things that we're talking about is we're talking about launching, I taught, we refer to our marriage Joshua Life program as our MTWW program. And Kerry is going to be helping to launch our Rarity 2.0 program next year. That's not an official title. It, it's Todd's internal title. It's, it's 2.0. It's the internal. 
It's the internal working <laughs> title, but it's really going to try to work with our alums and others, if need be, of how do we provide some, if you're not getting that development that you need, that individual and a development, you need to be successful. And, and how do we help you? How do we help you get those, those skills? How do we help you develop? If, if the firm or your employer's not doing it, we'll, we'll work with you to help yeah. you. Mm -hmm. Because our, our goal for these individuals is to help them be successful. Yeah. We don't want to just place you. We want you to be yeah. successful. And I'm assuming that's the employer's intent as well. And I don't think, well, and totally. I, like you said earlier, we're, they're doing a lot of great, there's a lot of great initiatives happening. Yeah. But this is how still employees are feeling. And so that's why yeah. we wanted to share it. Because even though sometimes we put together great programs, sometimes the recipients of that program feel differently than what we think they're feeling. And so just kind of hearing somebody else's perception is important in terms of like, what are we doing? If we yeah. feel, if you ask these employees yourself, what are you feeling valued and respected? Do you feel comfortable? You know, do you feel like you're getting feedback? You know, will they feel safe enough and comfortable enough to have that you know, that conversation or will they want to leave because something's happened that they, they just can't get beyond? Yeah. So. Well, I would say this is, this is a problem like just broadly in the profession is the lack of development, the lack of feedback, the lack of training. I mean, the, the way our profession is set up, especially at big firms is um, it's up or out. You know, the, the pyramid shape of, of firms is designed to push people out. And so what do you think is going to happen if you bring in people who have not had all the advantages, you yeah. know, that, that you, you, I, yes, like, I, I, had a I had a conversation with them a week off, but I, I had a conversation with a senior person at a large firm. And he said, we're seeing the same kind of issues with, with people who of diverse backgrounds who did go to the University of Illinois or who did go to Texas or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And, and then I sort of said, but what happens for individuals who don't have that background or don't have that experience? They said, well, it's just, it's, it's accentuated. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. It's, it is a general, it, it's, yes, it's, it's a, there's a general, if you're going to hire, to Kiri's point, how do we, how do we bring individuals into these environments and then provide them with the, yeah. the individualized support that's going to help them be successful? One more point I wanted to make on what you were just saying, Blake, is it is, it's a broader issue and it's not the employee's issue. So if there's a gap, and we, as much as we need to train our employees and provide feedback to our employees, there also needs to be more, you know, racially sensitive manager training and how to work with staff that are different than you. And I know a lot of organizations are offering great training like that, but holding people accountable for that as well, because it's not just the employee who needs to do the work. Mm -hmm. And to that point, like, I want to get back to that uh, survey I mentioned by Azarian, because this had one of the most troubling stats I've ever seen about diversity in our profession. I, I've got this up on the screen for you so you can see it now. The question is, how important is it that your firm address a lack of DEI in your workplace? This was a very broad survey. Many, many accountants took this survey. And the good news is that 29% said very or extremely important, and 16% said somewhat important. So if we add those together, we get 45%. A little less than half of the profession thinks that DEI or diversity and inclusion is important. Here's the part that's troubling. 36% said very or completely unimportant. So over a third of the accounting profession does not think that DEI is important, that diversity is important. And they think it's even unimportant. How do you respond to that? How does this, how do you overcome that? I mean, when we talk about 20% or so of candidates experiencing microaggressions, I mean, it's probably this pool of people who think that diversity doesn't matter that would be doing that, Well, right? I, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily go as far as to say the microaggressions are coming from the, the and actually, I don't look at 36, I look at 47%, because 47% of the people think it's either very complete or somewhat unimportant. It's half and um, half, right? I don't necessarily, yeah. It's pretty much half and half. And I, I don't necessarily think that you can make the broad generalization that people who are committing microaggressions live in that 47%. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a broad generalization. I, I think the reality is we have a very broad profession and, and we live in very interesting times. 
and it is an issue. And, and so your, your question was, what do you do about that? How, what's your reaction? And I will tell you what we have done. And I go around, I, I do, I, I do a town hall forums around the state of Illinois, where you want to talk with members about the state of the profession, state of our people, and, and I include the state of state diversity as part of that. And, and what we do is we continue to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I can look at the 47% and get angry or frustrated, or I can say, you know what? We're going to continue to talk about what we think is important to talk about. And, and pro progress is, progress is not going to be fenced, but all we can do is we can continue to talk about it. We can continue to talk to leadership about it, leadership in firms, leadership in companies. And, um, and hopefully over time that, you know, Gary and I both know this is a long game. When I took over the role of CEO 10 years ago, I had various goals and objectives. And I will, I'll be honest, it, it, I didn't realize this was, was going to be as challenging to move this needle, but you keep pushing it. Yeah, well, Blake, here's a when stat I saw from, that, sorry, when I saw that chart you had showed, um, mm -hmm. initially I was upset as well, but I wasn't surprised because that's what we're hearing. That's what our respondents are feeling. That's what they're seeing. And like, if you're a large firm and you're hiring these employees and your employees don't feel like D&I in your workplace is important, it's a trickle down effect, you know, and Todd said, we're talking to leaders and organizations really trying to yeah. help people understand and change that mindset. But yeah, it's, it, it's, um, you know, being what we're, what I'm trying to do with the students that we're placing into these employers is being really transparent about that is, you know, listen, these employers are trying, they've got good initiatives. It's not going to be very diverse when you get there. This is the, you know, to not kind of just put this like, oh, it's great. Yeah. We're doing all these great things, but be very transparent that there's still challenges that you're going to face. So here's a stat that might help uh, change people's minds, I would hope. Um, so the question here is, do organizations make better decisions when there is employee diversity? And a range of studies that I have seen say yes. When organizations are more diverse, uh, when corporate boards have uh, you know, more women on them, for instance, or organizations have just more diversity in general, they have more diversity of thought and they make better decisions. They are, they are more profitable. Uh, and this has been proven. And anyone who disputes this who's listening, like, please send me an email, blake at earmarkcpe.com, and I will direct you to those studies. But the accounting profession doesn't seem to believe that as much as it should. So the answer to this question is, you know, do organizations make better decisions when there's employee diversity? A third of the accounting profession only says maybe, 32%. 10% say probably not, and 10% say definitely not. So, so when this we is... When we yeah. talk to the alumni about this in the interviews, it's because they're saying, I may be there, but if I'm not brought to the table, I can't help you make better decisions. I can't participate. I can't contribute to innovation. I can't, you know, if I'm not confident in my workplace, if I'm, if the door isn't open for me to go beyond just sitting as at that table, you know, so not fully convinced because there's very few people who are diverse right now in the organizations. And then um, a lot of them are having, not all, but uh, many of the people we talk to having a hard time even contributing and showing yeah. value. So uh, we, have <laughs> we have half of the profession that doesn't believe diversity is important, and we have half of the profession that doesn't think that their organization makes better decisions when it's diverse, right? That diversity adds value. And I think those there's probably 100% overlap between those two groups. Like the reason... The, that accountants don't believe diversity in diversity and don't want it is because they don't see the value in it. And, and you know, again, we live in very complex time. Our profession, when, when you think about who an accountant is or a CPA is, they work in big firms and small firms, in big towns and small towns. They're geographically dispersed around the country. In every part of the country, you'll find CPAs. I, I guess yeah, I'm not happy with, with the information that, you know, the, the numbers as they are, that's where I get back to, you're right. It's, it's, you know, I, and I don't know what this number looked like 10 years ago. I would hope that it's improved over the last 10 years. And this is, this is something that I'd love to see, uh, Arizant, you know, kind of do in a benchmark study every couple, two or three years to see, are we making progress? 
I will tell you, I think we are making progress. I have reasoned it. I, based on what I've heard from people, I'm not surprised by the information. I'm going to stick with the 48 that say it definitely probably makes better decision, but the 45% who say it's very important. And, and again, yeah, I, I was at, uh, I was uh, talking to an accounting firm once and they said, they said, uh, and they were in a predominantly white geographic region. And they said, why should we care about diversity? Somebody made the comment about, you know, new business. I mean, first, well, if you look at new business, if I you just, look at new business. Can I just stop you there one second, Todd? It's like uh, diversity can be as simple as like men and women. And we've got men yeah. and women everywhere in the country. And, you know, 80% of big four accounting firm partners are white men. 80 percent of the leadership of these large yep. firms is white men. So we don't even have diversity like among males and females. And and that so has I, been stagnant for Well, actually there's been some of I'm not gonna say yeah. it's dramatic because you because you'd call me on it if I said it was dramatic. But I will tell you this. So what I so what do I tell a firm when I talk to a firm leadership and say, why should I care? I tell them this when it's accounting firm. Versus versus a company when I talk to an accounting firm, I don't care what your clients look like. You go to most clients. If you walk in with a diverse team, they're going to think you're more forward thinking in today's world. Yeah. So it's not important just from you know your your you're gonna whether or not you're going even if you're going after a predominantly white client, yeah. it may help yeah. you. I think that that client's going to look and say, "Listen, this firm's a little more progressive because because they're they're taking this stuff seriously." So I, I'm going to be positive and have hope that you get, we got to keep talking about it. We got to keep hammering it. We can't. And yeah. again, sometimes you stop talking about it because you get frustrated or you stop talking about it because people give you negative feedback. You can't do that. You got to have the stomach to keep going. We like numbers. So tying it to results is a good thing to do. Like you will have a more profitable accounting firm if your firm is more diverse. And if your partner class is more diverse, you will start to win more business. Like you said, Todd, because when you go in to, to win those audits or get those clients, the people buying these days, the corporate clients are by and large, I don't know the numbers, but like, especially in, you know, Fortune 500, they're all about diversity now. Like that has become a real priority among big corporations in this country. So regardless of your personal feelings, it's a good business decision to have a diverse firm. It is. Right? It is. And yes. And yeah. I don't know, maybe maybe take the, I think the moral and ethical obligation is important to talk about, but how do you get results in the world? It's often by, you know, helping people figure out how they can make money from it. And yeah. maybe that's but the, the hard solution. part is being, the, I tell you, the hard part is being, is being willing to talk openly and honest. Yeah. In the face of people who may not want to hear it. And that's, you know, that's, I think that's what we've tried to do. This report, we know that some people read this report and they'll, you know, they may put it, put it aside and say, I don't care. We felt it was important. Why did we issue this report? We felt it was important to issue this report because we, we try to always speak, speak truth and honesty. Yeah. And, and that's why we did the report. And, and, and I think you just have to keep doing that. Yeah. There's another stat in here. Uh, does diversity improve decision-making in accounting? Only about half of accountants believe that. But across all industries, it's seventy three percent believe that. So, so yeah, yeah. part of that too is they don't experience it. So the lack of diversity again in the profession is showing in those results to me. When I see that, I see yeah. when well, you haven't experienced it, you don't even know how much it could benefit your firm. And I, I will say one of the challenges you'll hear, Blake, is well, yeah, but we try to recruit people, but they don't stay. But you, you've pointed out why they don't stay. And that brings us back to the Mary Tia, the, the, the report we have. Yes. I think that's an incredibly exactly. valuable piece of information for our profession, Todd and Carrie. Thank you for putting together this report. I've worked for a few years in uh, marketing roles in companies, and anyone who knows anything about marketing knows we're all obsessed about funnels, customer funnels, right? And getting people into a pipeline. So that's why I love this idea of the CPA pipeline and the diversity pipeline, because when you can identify where people are falling out of the pipeline, then you can fix the leak. And, and we, have, we have done a good job as a profession of getting more diverse people into the pipeline. We just lose them. We got leaks in our pipeline, right? We are very, everyone is very focused right now across the profession on growing the pipeline. Yeah. 
And in my opinion, is we need to focus more on uh, in across diverse people, across all people, keeping people. Yeah. Versus growing the pipeline is important. Growing the pipeline, I will tell you, growing the pipeline to diverse people, it is still important. It is critical because you're going to have it's never 100 percent translation. But 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 you know, I, I, I said in very simple terms. Look at the, it's it's an algebraic equation. The numerator is not major, right? It's not near the pipeline. Numerator is number of people stay. How do we focus on the numerator? Yeah. yeah. Well, and those are the people you're already talking to, right? They're already in the pipeline. They're already committed. Right. Yeah. We just got to not think what, turn them what, off. What we're hearing from them and what we wanted to get across is like, there's just a huge opportunity to be so, stepping so quick to replace these individuals and really invest in them differently and hear from them differently and be honest about what's happening differently. Um, and, and if you're, you know, if you are invested in the pipeline and, you know, recruitment also work on that retention side a little differently. Yeah. So, so we talked about uh, just one more thing before we wrap things up, but cause we talked a lot about the need to support, um, you know, staff when they're in the firm, train them more. I mean, I, I think anybody who's worked in a large firm has experienced that we need more support. What about um, the schools? What can universities and colleges do in their curriculum to prepare diverse candidates, but all candidates better for life in public accounting? Because I think that's actually, you know, in my experience, uh, a significant barrier to keeping people in the pipeline is they study accounting and then they get into working at an accounting firm and they're trying to pass a CPA exam and like what they learned isn't helping them. (laughs) nearly as much as it should. Yeah. Like, how does the it, curriculum need to change? Well, if, if I did, if I did, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a whole nother conversation. How the curriculum needs to change. I think, I do think you're seeing, and, and for, for a, a multitude of reasons, I think you're going to see some change in curriculum, uh, with the new CPA exam. I think that was going to be focusing on teaching some skills that I think are going to help people be more successful, uh, because some of those, some of those new skills are being incorporated into the new CPA exam, no matter what discipline you take, let alone if you take bar or far bar or, or TCP. So I, I, I think that's going to help. But, let me, you know, it, let me but, phrase it another way if I could. Um, so like, what is, what is the gap in, like, did you hear from these alumni? what it is that they felt unprepared to do in the firms? Yeah, so I, I think in general, um, people said the the CPA exam prep helped level their playing field. And so taking that content sooner could help. Um, we want to dig deeper deeper before we develop our Mary T 2.0 um, to talk about what is it, what is the specific, where, where are their themes with the gap? Because it, it was pretty different depending on who the person was we talked to. So some of them needed to take courses over. And when they reread that material, then they were fine on the job. Some of them, so it really was individualized, um, you know, gaps. But there, there was a theme, you know, when we talked to the students who did do the master's program at U of I said, you know, how was that transition when you did one internship at your undergrad here and you felt this way? How did you feel once you had this training? And they, it was just, you know, we have to be honest. It was a different experience. They felt different, better prepared. Um, so we need to address mm-hmm. that. We need to talk to educators about that. And we, ha- we have to, we have to figure it out. There's no, you know, I, there's no one class but, that needs to be improved across the board, all schools. Um, it was yeah. really dependent on the school and the. And, and I think there's no question. Listen, there's, there's, there's hundreds, there's thousands of, of, of schools, colleges and universities preparing individuals for, to, and, and, and the huge su- successful people come out of all of those various institutions. On the other hand, there's thousands of institutions and in, you know, who prepare people to be accountants. It, it's, there's uh you know, there's, there is an accreditation process that tries to, to, to create as much consistency as possible, but to assume everything's going to be the same, is crazy. Because you have different admission standards, you have different people and different, there's, there's so many differences and differences in background, different backgrounds. What would, if, if you're the schools, if I'm school and I'm looking at what we said in our Mary T program, I, I would try to look at my curriculum, but I think the schools are doing a, the schools are doing a, an, a, 
I think an amazing job today in, in helping to giving people opportunity even to have a chance. What what it, about soft skills? Like I see that word mentioned here in the summary. There's a soft and technical skills gap. And thinking back to you know what I had to do that was challenging in public accounting, like like talking to clients, right? That was not something I learned in school or managing clients or managing workload. Like we didn't learn that at all. We didn't learn how to do the, we learned the rules, yeah. but we didn't learn how to do the job. Yeah, like even navigating corporate politics. It's like, how do you work in a corporate environment? Yeah. You know, and I think yeah. you are seeing some schools try to create some soft skill training. I mean, listen, I sit, I sit in the advisory board for the University of Illinois accounting department and to prepare somebody to be able to become a CPA over, over the period of time they have that student there is challenging. You know, it's challenging. And now with the new exam, it's going to be equal, if not more challenging. Can you fully prepare somebody for everything, whether it's the soft skills and the technical skills? I, I really think the way it's worked now, and I'm not saying it works well, is, is the schools are, are really focused on, on getting you ready for the technical skills. Yeah. And so well, they've always up. been, right? It's always right. been. And that's been necessary in the past because, hey, we, we couldn't Google stuff. Right. Right. 20 years ago, you couldn't Google anything. You had to know it, especially tax or audit or gap. Like you had to just, or you had to go look in a book and you didn't have time to go down to the library every time you need to look something up. So you had to know it. But these right. days you don't, but the schools are still teaching you like you got to memorize all this stuff. And I just don't understand, like, like far more important would be, I'm sure, I'm sure if we surveyed firm owners and asked them, what's more important that your CPAs uh, in your firm know every, you know, tax rule or that they know how to explain a tax rule to a client, like what would be more important? And everybody would say, translate it into like, you know, layman's speak, right? Yeah. But we don't yeah. teach that in any of our classes. I've, I don't, I've never heard of anyone talking about that as like a, as a class, but that's probably the hardest thing to do. And one of the most valuable. I, I think you're going to see schools try to do that more, but I also think, you know, you, you, you're correct, but but uh, we hope we our hope is that students become go to major in accounting. We were yeah. the Illinois CPA Society, and we hope they sit for the CPA exam. CPA exam, yeah. as you know, is a rigorous, tough exam. And you know, I always tell people when well, you, if, you know you don't have to know you don't to your point you don't have to know every you don't have to know every rule or standard. Or tax or tax law. When you take CPA exam, you only have to know the ones they ask you, right? Which means you have to know. You know, if it, it's a funnel, right? You have to study this the large to be able to hopefully become a CPA. And we want people to become CPAs, right? So the question is, how do you balance that with trying to get people the soft skills they need, and when do you balance that? Uh, to get, it's to a get rigorous the, exam, but I feel like it's rigorous in the wrong way. Like just based on my <laughs> personal experience, it's a lot of memorization, and I'm I've always been good at that, right? I could sit and read the manuals and uh, memorize the rules and re regulations and spit them back out. Um, yeah. But like that's why it's difficult, not not because it requires like logic or critical thinking or uh, writing or anything like that. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I feel like. This is a whole nother topic, and you know, obviously, I'm gonna have to. We're gonna have to come back and talk more. But you know, these changes to the CPA exam—they aren't addressing any of these soft skills issues, are they? It's all—it's still all technical. It feels like. I think there's some. You know, if, if you read the blueprints or some of this, and yeah. yeah, we're a little bit off. There, there are some areas where they're talking about thinking skills or uh, analytical skills, uh, different than they have in the past, in, in some of the disciplines. That, if you look at the bar specifically, they talk a little bit about different skill sets that that I think are are welcome addition to that. But you know, yeah. that's yeah. as you said, it's a it's a whole subject unto itself. Yeah, Blake, I I'd love to think the state societies like ours have a good opportunity there to help with student and young professional training in those areas. But the students and young professionals that I've worked with don't know what they don't know. So we have to kind yeah. of identify which areas are most common and help them, you know, get where they need to be. That's a good point. I would love to figure out how could we create podcast episodes that teach people the soft skills they're soft not skills? learning in right. school. Let's I, talk offline, Blake. Yeah, I would be, 
I mean, that's my my mission. You know, part of my mission is is how do we plug that gap? Yeah, I would love to help. Um, well, yeah, and, and I'll tell you, that's really what we want to take out of though. Our our goal. Why do we do the marriage? Why do we do the reform we just did? It was a to bring bring light to the issue. To yeah. start, it's that there's all this talk and noise uh, to talk about pipeline and pipeline and pipeline, which I'm sure you hear all the time. Um, it was to bring a different conversation to the table, yeah. advancement and success versus just pipeline. But it wasn't just to bring it. It wasn't just to to create a conversation about that. It's what you just said and what Carrie just said. It's really about now, what do we do? Yeah. Now, how do we take this information and whether or not it's worked with educational institutions, whether that's not important, whether or not, whether it's employers who think maybe we have started thinking about assessing the needs of our staff, all of our staff, especially our diverse staff who come from different backgrounds, whether we need to assess the, the needs of, of those individuals specifically, separately versus group. How, it, it's really, how do you take what we, what we heard? And now what do you do about it? What yeah. do you do to try to help move the needle forward to, to help people become more successful? I love that, Todd and Carrie. Thank you so much for joining me. I've been speaking with Todd Shapiro, president and CEO at the Illinois CPA Society, and Carrie Natali, senior director of planning and governance at the Illinois CPA Society. Yeah, thank you for these insights. I think, um, you know, I'm feeling actually this is a glass half full situation. I know we're at this half and half point, right? We've got half the profession on board with this. We've got half that are saying, I don't see it yet. But I think we have an opportunity here in the next years to change minds, right? And get over that 50% hump and, and really reach that tipping point. Like this, I, as, as, I, I can get very frustrated, like many people, with the lack of diversity and movement and this stuff. But I think, I think things are going to change, and I hope they are. And thank you for everything you've done to, to move the profession forward. Thank you. Thanks, Blake. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something new. And if you did, wouldn't it be nice to get some CPE credit for it? Well, I've got great news. My new app, Earmark CPE, offers free NASPA-approved CPE credits for listening to podcasts, including this one. Visit earmarkcpe.com to download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. That's earmarkcpe.com.